Hi, and welcome to another episode of Work Out the Doubt. I'm your host, Dalvet Quince. Today's guest, they're friends of mine. I've said that and I own that as my own. Whether they know it or not, <laughs> we are best friends, okay? Uh, what an amazing couple to interview, to talk to. Why? Because they impact their world and others around them. Host of Impact Theory, host of Women of Impact, and also host of Impact Relationships. Relationship Theory. Relationship Theory <laughs> is there the last is. one, guys. So, as my best friend, Dolvet, <laughs> I'm mortified <laughs> you, that you, you think of that. I would know that, right? You would think I would know all three names by memory. Um, entrepreneurs, impact individuals, people who are not only authors and artists, but they inspire so many, including myself. Guys, please welcome my guests, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu. Thanks for having us, yeah, man. Yeah, no kidding. So thanks, good to be thanks here. Thanks for being here with me. Yeah, no, excited to, to do it, man. Congrats on the podcast. Thank yeah, you so no much. Kidding. So amazing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You both have had podcasts now for more than Tom. I think you started. How long has it been for you? It's got to be seven years, I think, from when we started uh, Inside Quest. Oh, Inside Quest. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Six Wait years just at Impact Theory. A lot of people don't know about Quest Nutrition mm. and where you started in your career. Some people do. Some people don't. I'd love to start there. Tell me about Quest Nutrition prior to you guys being a couple, or was it while you were a couple? While, yeah. So I'll give you the, the nutshell version, and then if there's anything you want to drill into, we can go. Sure. So I go to film school, graduate, think I'm going to get the three-picture deal. I do not. This is before YouTube, before cell phones, the cameras, and I just had no idea how to break into the industry. Uh, I end up falling in love with this amazing Greek girl, but I'm broke. And uh, her father doesn't want me to marry her, but uh, she says yes anyway. And we are going to break into Hollywood. And I write a screenplay, it gets turned into a feature film. I was horrified by the process, just really, really gut-wrenching. Had met these two very successful entrepreneurs who said, look, you're coming to the world with your hand out. And if you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. Mm. So come with us and get rich. I was like, word. So I thought <laughs> it would go. take, yeah, right? I thought it would take 18 months. Okay. Uh, it took 15 years. We built multiple companies in that time, but the one that ended up being a huge success was Quest Nutrition. And Quest was a learning for me that if I led with not trying to make money, but trying to actually serve people, then you have a shot. Because business is hard, success is not guaranteed, but the struggle is. And so it better be something that you really care about. And so Lisa and I used to be obsessed with The Biggest Loser. I come from a morbidly obese family. Yeah. Lisa's mom has struggled tremendously with weight. Mm -hmm. And so that was a show we knew those people, you know what I mean, and had so much love for them. You could relate to them. Yeah, yeah, big time. And so I had had to get control of my own body because I was starting to slide in that direction and uh, had really found diet and exercise and it changed my life dramatically. And so when we were, my partners and I were looking for that next company to start, um, the thing that the three of us were really passionate about, that we could show up every day, even if we were losing and fight for it, was health and fitness. And so we started Quest Nutrition, and for me anyway, it was about saving my mom and my sister and making food that they could choose based on taste, and it happened to be good for them. Now at the time, Lisa was a housewife, living the nightmare of my husband is trying to get rich. He keeps asking me for another 18 months, and I had done that for eight years. And uh, finally, I'm like, okay, we're about to do this crazy company, but I actually need your help. 
And do you mind just shipping bars from the living room floor? It should be really simple. That's all I need you to do. And then that's when this becomes her story. Yeah, so it was basically when he, when we were chasing money, because mm. I wanted to make movies too. My background was film. Yeah. So he was like, babe, I've met these entrepreneurs. We're going to go out. We're going to make a lot of money. And then we'll make films together. So I was like, great. He's like, it'll just take 18 months, like he said. Sure. So we played this. Um, we looked at all the successful people in that era and how they lived their lives. And we looked at Steve Jobs. And you just read an article or something where Steve Jobs said, oh, I always wear the same thing. I never think about what shirt I'm wearing, which is why you saw him in black and All then the jeans, because yep. he was saying he only can make a certain amount of decisions with utter clarity in a day. So we got to him, we're like, oh babe, I'll make all the decisions outside of work for you. You make all the decisions inside of work, and then after 18 months, we'll come together and we'll be have enough money to make movies. Sounds like a great compromise. Sounds like a great compromise. Right? Nice and easy. The problem is, it wasn't a year to 18 months, it ended up being eight years. And so for eight years, I started out with this aligned goal that we're gonna do this together, we're gonna make movies. And I think like so many of us, you end up sacrificing. You end up saying to yourself, well, I'm just gonna do it for the greater good. I'm just gonna do it for, for just this time. I'll, I'll change my life when. So for me, it was like, I'm gonna change my life when my husband makes enough money. I'm gonna change my life when we have enough time to do something that we really love, to go into movies. And that win never came. And mm. so for eight years, I was in what I call the purgatory of the mundane, where my life- The purgatory of the mundane. Yeah. What does that mean to you? My, my, my life was just mundane enough mm. that I was stuck. So many people that you've seen even on The Biggest Loser, right? People will make a massive change in their life when they've hit rock bottom, when they feel like I've got nowhere else to go, so I may as well. But what about the hundreds of millions of us that live in purgatory of the mundane where your life isn't rock bottom, so you're not jolted into changing it. Mm -hmm. And so he comes home finally one day, he's like, we're starting this new company, Quest, we really love it. Like, we just need your help. Like he said, we just need you to ship a couple of bars from the living room floor. We just need you to weigh some peanut butter on our home scales. Now, when you grow at 57,000%, you go from shipping bars in your living room for literally one week to a couple of weeks later, I've got a garbage bag over my shoulder, walking to the post office. A couple of weeks after that, you end up having to go to our partner's garage, ship from there. And so we just grew so quickly. And for the first period, our house was on the line. Mm. And so as a good supportive wife, which I had adopted that mindset after eight years, I'm the good supportive wife, our house is on the line. Babe, what do you need? So every time I faced an obstacle, a challenge, because I wasn't equipped to start a business. I had no idea what I was doing. Mm. I was good at taking care of my two dogs and my husband. Sure. And so every time I was challenged, every time I faced myself, my insecurities, my inadequacies, I had a choice. And that choice was, Lisa, you either have to figure it out or you have to go back to your husband and tell him that you're too scared or that you failed mm. or that you don't want to. And that leads to you losing your house. It's a choice. Which one do you want to do? And in that moment, I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Mm. And so that was my start into recognizing who is, who is Lisa? What life do I actually want? I've stayed for eight years sacrificing for the greater good. And I've never spoken up. I've never told my husband I'm miserable. I've never told him that the life I'm now leading isn't what I had pictured for myself. And so that started my journey of what life do I want? How do I make the change? And as a couple, because we prioritize our relationship, hmm. as I went from a housewife to an entrepreneur, I sat with him all, every step of the way and discussed with him, hey, I know I said I want four children. I now don't think I want any. Hmm. Let's work through this. Hmm. And so that became the strongest thing, I think, right? It's like you get, 
you learn things from the challenges. Is it a shark whose fins, like if it's not actually out on the water, their fin doesn't actually go straight up because it only goes straight because it's actually been tested against the pressure of the ocean? Sure. It's kind of like that with a relationship. I think that you end up being better when you're challenged, when you can communicate and come through it. Well, that's interesting because I love the fact that you bring up the challenges brought you guys closer together. You had your internal challenges, mm -hmm. things you had to go through. And I know in the Greek culture, you're taught support your husband, be there, be present. You're not necessarily taught, you know, the entrepreneurial thing. You're mm -hmm. like, be his support system. Yeah. That's your job, which is away from the DNA of what you were raised under. Mm -hmm. When the pivot came for you, when the pivot of, wait a second, he needs me in more than just way, more than one way, several ways, especially as an entrepreneur, what did that do for your relationship? Because you didn't want to tell him at first, right? Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, I'm scared, I gotta figure this out. At some point you had to come to Tom and say, hey, I'm not comfortable. How was that dialogue? What did you both learn from that? And where did it lead to? Well, in the beginning it was, I'm not comfortable, I don't know. Um, but that quickly gave way to, actually, I think I can do this. I think I want to do this. I'm coming out of my shell. I'm finding myself. You're saying this in Lisa's voice. Yeah, yeah, Got yeah. It. yeah. So um, the, the early days of like, oh, I, you know, I don't know what to do and I'm in over my head, that kind of stuff was like, A, she didn't spend a lot of time there. She really just threw herself into it. Um, but the, the drama in the relationship was when I realized that I was no longer married to a supportive wife, I was married to an entrepreneur. Mm. And that was not a fun transition. And so it's one of the moments where I'm most proud of like our ability to navigate a relationship because you have to grow together, right? So yes. the, there may be a tangent, but one of the most fascinating stories in rock history is U2. U2, I guess, at some point very early in their career said, uh, we're going to run the experiment of what does it look like if a band refuses to ever break up. Mm. And so they started out as a punk rock band. They obviously don't get famous in that incarnation, but the same guys then end up founding the U2 that everybody knows. Bono obviously becomes a huge star. The Edge becomes a huge star. Either of them could probably have broken off and done their own thing. Neither of them did. Mm -hmm. They stay together, you know, and they have the kind of insane longevity and relevance that most bands never have. And so... I heard that and I was like, yeah, that's exactly how I think about a marriage. It doesn't mean that there aren't gonna be opportunities, you know, like as, as a guy, as I got older and wealthy, it was like I had a lot more options. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was, no, 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 the experiment I'm running in life is what does it look like to share that life with one person? Mm. And so now, but I'm in this moment of like, huh, this is not the one woman I married. I married a woman that wanted kids, looked after me, was hyper-nurturing, she was raised as a good Greek girl, like she started sell shipping the bars off the floor because that's what a supportive wife, wife does, right? But do. I didn't have to twist her arm, nothing. She right. was just like, yeah, 100%, ride or die, like I'm here for you. And so the conversation of actually that isn't what I want for my life anymore, I feel incredibly empowered. She, by the time we're having this conversation, she's got close to 40 employees in her department She's got, what, 10,000 square feet or something. We're doing roughly $80 million in business. So, I mean, she's like really running one of the most important divisions we have. Mm -hmm. 
and it's forklifts and hairnets. I mean, it's like just so She's far. in the trenches. Yeah, She's yeah. doing it. Oh, hardcore. Way, as you're saying this story, the reminiscing is happening. You should, nothing but smiles over here. She's just, she's living this with you. Yeah, this yeah, hundred percent. Go ahead. And so, uh, you know, we had a big conversation. Uh, she's like, I can't keep doing all the things for you and now being an entrepreneur myself, it's too much. And so we were like, okay, you know, let's figure out what that means, how we're gonna divide Let me the just labor. say though, of course that was after me trying to do everything. You were also trying to take care of the house and take care, and also be an entrepreneur. Correct. At the same it was, time. It was filling my, enjoyment of going into work and being in business and then also feeling like I had committed to being a supportive sure. wife and so I didn't want to let either go and I think so many of us that is that fear of letting one life go and sure. pursuing another something will suffer though yes something will suffer but in those moments where you're first making the decision, you like to believe, at least I did, that nothing was gonna suffer. Like, no. oh, I can do both. Yes, I course. can make my husband happy and I can support him and I can fulfill myself. No, it's very important addition. So uh, we end up colliding when it's like, okay, I don't wanna do any of that anymore. And it was such a radical change for me in terms of- What you signed up for. Yeah, what I signed yeah. up for, what I was used to, all of that. And the, easy thing for me was, okay, I, I know, we don't even joke about divorce. We call it the D word, we never refer to it. So for us, it's just not even on the table. So it's like, okay, well, we have to find a path through this. What does that path look like? Mm. And so we started divvying up the different tasks and jobs. And my thing was, I want you to be whoever you want to be. So I want you to become the best version of you. And mm. so if that means you wanna become an entrepreneur and I've gotta take on more responsibilities, whatever, then cool. Now, I wish that we had the time to run people through in real time, because some of this is, no, I'm not gonna do that. Mm. And so you, when you were doing it, you cleaned this, you did that, you put this way, I'm not making the bed, I'm not folding that, like those things are dumb. Bed. And so it's like- These are real conversations yeah, yeah. between the two like, of you. I'm, I'm here for it, right. I'm gonna make sure that um, we create a dynamic that is livable for both of us, but it isn't, because like, I feel like the, in some ways the pendulum in America certainly right now has swung so far in the other direction that people are afraid to put their foot down and be like, no, I'm not doing that. Right. And so my thing was, look, I'm not gonna make the bed, that's super stupid to me. If you wanna make the bed, by all means, I don't need you to. So my thing was, I will never ask you to do something that mm -hmm. I would not do for myself. Fair. But don't ask me to do something just because you think it needs to be done. Okay. So we navigated all that and then I said, look, um, I want to, make sure you understand, I need to mourn the death of what I had. And Interesting. I won't stay there long, right. but I am losing something that I valued. And she was so graceful with that, huh. didn't make me feel guilty about it. And by the way, I wasn't passive aggressive. I just said, I'm gonna need to mourn this. I'm super bummed about it. And I'm so excited for you and becoming an sure. entrepreneur. And, because I could have that conversation with her where I see her light up and she's so amped about it and I'm seeing her do it and she's so good at it. And I remember watching it as it was happening and I'm like, because she always had the vision of herself. <laughs> yeah. I'll miss you. Hello, entrepreneur, come on Yeah, <laughs> but she, she had a vision of herself as the kid in the family who didn't have those genes. Wow. And that her brother and sister were good at mathematical reasoning and things like that. And she was the artist and sort of the black sheep. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I think we all realized, nope, like she's got actually something. got the most strong entrepreneurial instincts of the family. Wow. And so it was really cool to see her come alive. 
And so it was like, I'm actually really excited about this, seeing you light up. It's super powerful. It's amazing. It's also good for the business, by mm -hmm. the way. So that didn't hurt my feelings. Um, but I was like, it's different. So give me a minute. I'll find you on the other side and all will be well. And I made good on that promise. And we just talked through the whole thing and um, made it to the other side. And now we've been business partners now for 12 years, 13 years, something like that. Yeah, I think about that. Maybe more. Jesus. What anyway, what an elevated teens. way to communicate. Because the elevation that I'm speaking of specifically in this case, and we'll, we'll, we'll stretch this whole elevation of communication, is one of the things I honor most about the two of you, the fact that you're able to tell the world, this is how we heal for an argument. Mm. This is who we are in our relationship. The, you've exposed yourself with most people where cameras on them won't allow that to happen. But I feel because you're doing it, it's therapeutic for your relationship as well as mm -hmm. people that are watching. So it's reciprocal in that regard. Mm -hmm. I respect and honor you for doing it. That said though, what a great way to communicate. I need to mourn what I once thought was my life. Give me a moment to do that. And I'm coming, I'm not going anywhere because our agreement is the D word doesn't exist in our mm -hmm. dynamic. So we already know we're in agreement. There's no letting this bond go. Even though there may have been people in your life that said, don't marry him, don't, you know, and done all those things. You guys agreed, hey, guess what? We're in this to win this no matter what. However, shit happens. And this is a big shit for me. Mm -hmm. This is in Tom's voice. I have an entrepreneur wife now, not a wife who, you know, watches an entrepreneur husband. When he said that to you, how did you receive that? I completely understood. And the funny thing is, it ha I had to do the same. I had to mourn, especially like as I started to transition not only into entrepreneurship, but deciding I didn't want children. So again, I told him I wanted four when we got married. Mm. So as I started to process, I don't know if I want kids anymore. I had to also mourn <coughs> the person I thought I was going to be. Because I think it's so important where as adults, we think, well, if I go down this path, I have to pretend like the other path didn't matter. No, no. The other path does matter. Mm. And if you're giving up a path in your life, I think it's going to be important for you to get past it. You have to grieve it. And so I said, I need to grieve the wife I thought and the mother I thought I was going to be, mm. which means I have to let go and go through the idea. Like I wanted to feel the baby grow in my tummy. I wanted like a little Tom running around with his ears. Like <laughs> I, I could get excited even now. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that if I pretended I know I didn't want it, that would start to eat away at me. And in order to let it go, I had to acknowledge that it's not that I don't want it, I just want something else more. And so for me, I want to be an entrepreneur more than I wanted to be a mother. That doesn't How did mean that happen? Is it, was it in the middle of your entrepreneurial endeavor, your quest, so to speak, yeah. that you realize, oh, I love this. Yeah, I think it was during the act of. Yeah, and then it's like, what life do you want? And when you think about the dream that you may have as a kid, when we started to think about me, you know, not being a stay-at-home wife and me not having kids, it was like, well, what does life actually look like? Because we can all get carried away with a big grand idea of what something's gonna feel like, right? Like, sure. oh my God, having a baby, getting pregnant, being called mommy, like I can get so excited as you can see. So I go, but what does that actually look like? What does that look like knowing who I am today? What, and I use, in my book I call it the average Wednesday. What does an average Wednesday look like, Lisa, if you have kids and gave up your career? If you didn't give up your career and still had kids, or if you decided not to have kids? What would an average Wednesday look like? Mm. And now, knowing what the average Wednesday looks like, which life do you want? 
And so for me, I played the whole process. We went through it together. What kind of father do you want to be? And then I realized, oh, the bucket, the life I actually want is the one I'm living. Mm. And so now the next step is to mourn, to grieve the person I'm leaving behind, the person I thought I was going to be, mm -hmm. so that I can move on and not pretend. And so that, it really computed with me when he said that. I didn't take it personally. And that was the thing that we do, I think, very well is don't take things personally in the sense of when I came to him and I said, I don't want to take care of you anymore. I don't want to cook for you. I don't want to clean for mm. you. It was said with, but I love you more than anything else on this planet. So I hope you <coughs> don't take the love that I have for you or me looking after you, me putting clothes out for you sure. as that's the signal that I love you. And he was like, of course I don't. I was like, okay, great. So how? You said love a few times. Mm -hmm. I want to ask both of you that question because I genuinely feel the love between the two of you. I feel the desire to problem solve together. So my question is this, at least I'll start with you. Where did you learn love from? Um, I didn't. I think you, you never have, learned love. I think you, well, what I mean is, I think you have to define what love means to you. Because you can look at a love for a friend, a love for a family member, sure. a love for a partner, and they're very different. They, to me, have different types of boundaries. Sure. They have different types of expectations. But it's still love. So when, I don't know if I thought, if I was this good back then. <laughs> um, but it's not like we sat down and it's like, what does love mean to you? What does love mean to <coughs> you? It, it happened over time. So it was like, oh, I was taught that if the guy doesn't text you every day, then he must not love you. Mm. I was like, well, hang on, is that actually true? Mm. Oh, my husband will sacrifice his life for me. So if he doesn't text me, that's what I'm going to use as my, um, my sign of whether he mm -hmm, cares. Mm -hmm. And so when I was starting to piece apart the messaging that the outside world was giving, it was like, oh, well, if he loves you, he's going to give you flowers. If he loves you, he's going to do this. And it's like, it didn't seem to compute with my emotions and our connection. So I realized that it just sets people up for failure and that we've never sat down and go, well, what's important to you? What is important as a wife for you? What is important how I show up? What is the feeling you need, right? We all talk about love languages. Mm -hmm. You know, my love language is different to his love language. And so understanding what that is, we wouldn't realize that we were butting heads until it was like, oh. Because I'm not speaking your language. Yeah, because here I am. So he can tell me how much he loves me all day. Sure. But I wake up in the morning and my kettle is boiled for me, sure. I feel the love. Yes. He can tell me he loves me. It's the, it's the act. It's, it's the act. When my husband works yeah. 120 hours a week sure. and he spends five minutes stopping and pouring water to in the kettle, you. it's considerate. 100%. He can, telling me he loves me can be fleeting, but showing me that in certain ways is more meaning than anything. It's the but, same, he can buy me a diamond ring, like no matter how big it is, but give me time Oh, screw the diamond ring. I don't want it. I want time. But he may not know that because that may not be his language. Sure. So understanding that, because that's why the communication piece is imperative. But you guys do communicate now. Do you communicate? Did you communicate that year one? Or did it take the trials and tribulations of eight years of being entrepreneur, adjusting from that, that leveled up your communication of where it is today? It's definitely leveled up just because you get better at the things that you practice. But you mature. You yeah, yeah. But yeah. I, I will say, and this is always the thing that scares me about 
giving people relationship advice is Lisa and I have always been high level communicators. Good. In, so, as individuals. Yeah. Individually. Yeah. And then together we've always communicated very well. And um, we came to the relationship both at a time where it was like, I said just flat out, I am not getting married. And so when I met her, <clears throat> my whole thing was she was legally obligated to leave the country. Mm. And I so I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> this is a guaranteed fling, no matter what she ends up wanting. Good to go. Yeah. So I was like, yes, please. Get over here. Yeah. So that uh, set us off right. And I had recently learned that the way, because I was terrible with women historically, and had finally learned that you have to not care whether the other person finds you attractive. You just have to be you in a way that's cool. You've got to package it well. Sure. But to really be yourself and to be totally, to totally not care about whether the person responds favorably. Now, the hilarious part of that is that's what makes you attractive. The and so, yeah, just like, meh. Self-awareness. Yeah, and yeah. so I was... I really set the tone of like, I'm not trying to impress you and was just like, here's who I am. And I was completely honest and truthful. And I'm like, if you find me interesting, then there's something here where we could have fun. And if you don't find me interesting, then, you know, I hope that you enjoyed your evening and I wish you the best. You didn't actually say that to me. That was his attitude. That's his inner voice. Yes. Yeah. 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 That would have been a little weird on your first right. day. You're like, wow. Right. No, so, no guy would say that at the beginning. But, yeah, we're definitely thinking that way. Yeah. So it, that just, it really set things up well. And we were both so into the idea of connection. Like, I like to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so that night, like, our first date was electric. It was just awesome. And so it wasn't... Because you were so honest, though. I want to be very transparent. You haven't said that yet. But you were so honest and transparent um, about, like, even just the conversation points that you were saying. Fast. Yeah, he mentioned that. He was, and, yeah, and so you were drawn to his honesty. Was it, some, it was some, probably something yeah, rare yeah. that he... Yeah, did. I wasn't using bluster. So when I right. say you have to package it up cool, I don't mean lie or bullshit. I mean, legitimately this be who, who you are. Love me or leave me alone. Yeah, and, like, if they're not interested, fair enough. Yeah. But... And look, I'm not dumb, so I understand that when you're out with a woman, you should be asking her way more questions, talking about her, keeping the focus there. So it's like, unfortunately, I know people don't want to hear this, there are techniques you're going to have to deploy if you want to, because you have to get over, relationships are really weird. In the beginning, it's all sexual attraction. Mm -hmm. And you leverage that sexual attraction to ultimately get into something far more mature. And so it's this really interesting dance of like, I actually just want to get to your heart and to sharing a life and to being vulnerable and to you being the one that brings me chicken soup and I'm like vomiting on the floor. Like mm -hmm. that's where we're headed. But to get there, it's like I've got to package this up in a way that's intriguing, that's sexually interesting. And look, for anybody out there, I'm going to recommend a very controversial book, but it will change your life. Here we go. It's called A Billion Wicked Thoughts. Okay. And it was two Google engineers that were like, lamenting that you could never do a sexual case study about what men and women, women really want. And they said, because, because people will lie. lie. And no, no matter how much you tell them, this is anonymous. Like, nobody's going to tell you the truth. Right. And then they were like, wait a second. Google has spent the last 12 years running the largest experiment of human sexuality ever because they've got every search that's ever been done. And so they went back through all of these searches it is beyond fascinating. And then they combine these searches with the literature on human sexual behavior. It is 
unbelievably you enlightening. You see this, I'm like, I got to get this book. You have to get it. It's crazy. And in the book, they talk about how women basically have a detective that lives in their brain to make sure that men are going to invest in their kids. And so they're looking for something very different than men are looking for. Okay. So in the beginning, guys are looking for, I want to have sex with as many people as possible. And women are like, ah, I have to have sex with the right people right. to make sure that you're going to be around. But we're not a, uh, an unmonogamous species either. So we're this weird hybrid of like, we can sort of go in either direction. And so being aware of all of that allows people to have the kind of success we've had. So in the beginning, I knew, hey, I've got to package this up well. Sure. But at the same time, I understand where we're trying to go. So if I set this up as BS, right? Even though at the time I thought, okay, this is just going to be sexual, I still want to connect. So I'm doing all the things you would need to do to really connect with somebody and have fun, but thankfully it's just gonna be limited. But anyway, she leaves London. I realize, oh my God, I've actually fallen in love with her. And so now it's like, how do we begin to bring this relationship together? But pretty quickly we realize there's something, there's a spark here that neither of us have ever felt. And so let's use techniques that set us up well for the future. We weren't talking about the future yet, but we were smart enough to intuitively use honesty, open communication, being honest, like all the things that just set us up on such good footing. Did you practice that prior to her or because of her? Well, so now we get into, I have a unique background that I really encourage people to get, which was I was so bad at women but so I listened and people kept saying, and I don't know how, what the rating of your show is. So I'll keep it PG 13, no. but I don't know no. that I can go much lower. Okay, perfect. Go. So the roof. I'm, I'm 13 <laughs> yeah. and I keep hearing like over and over and over. Men don't know where the clitoris is. Right. And I'm like, I don't even know what the clitoris is. What are you talking so about? So I'm like, I'm going to have to figure this out. So I start reading Cosmopolitan magazine because I'm like, I'm not going to be one of those guys that women make fun of. Right. So I'm reading and reading and reading and reading and reading. And I'm like, they're telling you the secrets to the universe. And so I'm just taking it all in. Now, the problem is if you read Cosmopolitan magazine back in the 80s, uh, when I was reading it, you're going to be you're going to show up on the first date with flowers and poetry because that's what cosmopolitan told you to do be, yes so they tell the truth about certain things and they either intentionally or unintentionally lie about other things maybe they want it to be true but it's not really true sure. read a billion wicked thoughts for what's really true <laughs> uh but i got enough information that i was sort of thinking in the right way i need to understand women i need to know what is exciting for them sure. i have to package myself up in a certain way so i try some of the early experiments they don't work I finally find confidence and realize, oh, that's the aphrodisiac for women is confidence. Mm -hmm. And so, cool, I have to embody that. So I start doing that, I start getting laid. Amazing, <laughs> works like a fucking charm. Right around this point. You don't have any older brothers, do you? No. Didn't think so, go, keep going. Yeah, which I'm sure does not Colin help. was your older brother. Yeah, I'm and my, unfortunately my dad did not have okay. a game to <laughs> lay on me. <laughs> right. So, uh, so through all of this, now I've got a mix of like, I have a deep and intuitive understanding of relationships, okay. and I've been thinking about this from the female perspective for a long time. So you put it all together and it's like, okay, everybody tells you communication is the most important, but what do they mean by that? Mm. Everybody tells you confidence is important. What do they mean by that, right? So getting to the point where we could talk openly. So like the big thing, I'll just, I'll shave 10 years off of everybody's marriage problems. Okay. 
Every single time you get in an argument without fail, I guarantee I already know what caused that argument. One of you has triggered an insecurity in the other person. Period. Full stop. That's yep, it. That's, that's it. every argument. That's simple. Now, the problem is that either people don't know that they're reacting emotionally because their insecurity has been triggered, and if they don't recognize it themselves and they trust their emotions, then they're going to be like, oh, you've said something that makes me feel angry, so I'm just going to be angry with you. But that thing may be, oh, you're making me feel insecure. So what we learn to do after this catastrophic argument we call the T argument mm. the biggest tea. fight biggest my wife have ever had ever was over tea, a cup of tea yeah, a cup of tea yes <laughs> a cuppa and i remember two hours into this argument as i'm turning around in the freeway because we were going on vacation i'm turning around and leaving and we never took vacations at that time and i'm like there's no way that we're actually arguing about tea and so i said it out loud and that began the thing that ended up it, it's it is the reason that we're together. So the two, two of us, when we're really going at each other, sure. we're racing to figure out what insecurity has been triggered and trying to articulate it out loud, even though it feels kind of embarrassing. Because it's like, oh my God, you're making me feel dumb or you're making me feel like I'm a failure. You're making me feel like you're not going to love me if I'm losing, whatever. Well, and you actually say that out loud. And then the other person's like, whoa, okay. And it totally changes the dynamic. It's like, I am not trying to say that at all. Here is what I'm trying to work through over here. And then the other person has to take responsibility for their insecurity and be like, okay, I'm not going to read it from that position. So now you're a team again. Sure. And it's like you're giving them space to be insecure. You're not making fun of them for it. Which is, so a cardinal offense in our marriage would be to cheat, beat, or use their insecurities as a weapon. Wow. And so we don't do – those three things are completely off the table. And so – she knows, like, if she wanted to devastate me emotionally, right? I have a, a social following of almost 9 million people, mm -hmm. and they fucking try to heckle me left, right, and center. Mm -hmm. But while sometimes it is like, ooh, that stung, they never get under the, my skin the way that she could mm -hmm. because she knows what actually bothers me. And so and she could be like, you gave your heart to. ding, yeah. She could hit this button, that button, that button, and, and I would be devastated. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So... When you give somebody that power, it's the greatest feeling in the world. There, there is The reason I say that my marriage is the best thing that ever happened to me, it's my number one priority, there's some weird wiring in the human mind to be like, I'm going to hide these things from everyone on planet Earth. And it kind of makes me feel lonely. Hmm. But one person, I'm going to go, here you go. Those are all the things that scare the shit out of me. Right. And all I want, because you don't need to solve them. Right. All I want is to know I can trust them that they're loaded up in a gun and you could at any time point it at me, shoot me and kill me. Sure. And that this relationship is predicated on the fact that there is no reason, there's nothing I could do that would make you pull that trigger. So I'll give you a for instance. If my wife ever cheated on me, we would break up immediately. Mm -hmm. But I would never pull the trigger on her insecurities. And that makes me proud of me. Mm. And because I'm doing it for my own reasons, mm -hmm that there's a, a famous phrase, you don't divorce the same person that you marry. I thought you made it up. No, I'm very sad to report. I literally said no. the other day, I was like, no. my husband says this great quote. He does say this great quote. He <laughs> just didn't you think of the great quote. What is the quote? Uh, you don't divorce the same person that you marry. Now, technically, I did 
make that quote up. Because the real quote, if we could just piss your audience off for a second, sure. you don't divorce the same woman that you marry. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Let's change that to person. Right. He did it for both. Let's exactly. That to it's interesting where you're going with this because I've learned recently that what you just said, which is to give all of me to a person. I've had several relationships prior to my marriage, but because of my background and upbringing, I've always kept a piece of myself mm. for safety to myself just in case. Yep. I've never learned to trust someone else with the love that I knew or didn't know within myself, right? Mm -hmm. It isn't until recently, having been married and found my best friend, that I feel secure. Mm. I feel today what you said, I'm, here's all of me, flaws and all, they're yours. What are you gonna do with that? How are you gonna handle that, right? And it's proven to me daily, I got you. I got you. You're in safe hands. How long did it take for you to feel safe with her? Very quickly. And we talked a lot about that in the beginning, that relationships are way too much sacrifice. And not enough. Uh, they're way too much sacrifice unless you get that thing, that trust where it's like, so I had never told a woman that I loved her before my wife. Wow. And because one, I was bad with women, so I'm sure that's part of it. But then two, uh, not, I, I am very adept at reading other people. And so if I get the feeling that somebody is not, so the, the key thing for me is, and there are very, very few people in the world that have this kind of personal integrity for their own reasons. Okay. There are very few people that, oh, I can tell you something, and I know no matter what, if you ended up hating me, hating me, that you still wouldn't tell somebody this because you think it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, but early on, I could see, whoa, like that's really how you view the world. And so we talked a lot about value system in the beginning. We, that was another idea that we, we really came to fast which is that you can have a collision of values and that navigating collisions of values is hard because it's something, oh, I understand. I see your position. I can say mm -hmm. your position as well or better than you can. Mm -hmm. You understand my position. You can say it as well or better than I can, but you still think I'm crazy and I still think you're crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Um, tidiness to me is a sin. It's an affront to God, Jesus. to my wife. And I really it's mean it that strongly. to her. Yes. And, and there's a whole thing, she gets very anxious when things aren't tidy. But to me, it, the, one of the like, top five things that I value is efficiency. Hmm. And tidying is anti-efficiency. And how she does not does see that it that make way. Sense? Oh, yeah. How, how I, does that make sense? How does efficiency... run you through to, it. To be efficient, you need to have things in order. To be efficient, you need to waste time, yes. I grant I'm you with that. you, but this and is the... And so to you, wasting tidiness is wasting time. I'll give you an example. Yeah. I'm waiting for this. Uh, <laughs> I need this in my life. What are you somebody, somebody comes, this is a real story. Somebody comes and they're like, uh, I need you to sign these checks. Okay. Cool, do you have a pen? No, I don't. Where do we keep the pens? I don't know. Babe, where do we keep the pens? Oh, I'm not sure. Check here. I go there. There's no pens there. Oh, if they're not there, um, check there. They're not there either. Oh, I wonder where the housekeeper put them. We're calling the housekeeper. Mm. Now, I just spent 12 minutes 
finding a pen. Being anti-efficient as well. Yeah. Right. Because they needed to be hidden. I don't need things hidden. Just, I don't mind things being in their place. That's fine. I mind things being tidied to the point of invisibility. Oh, shit. Which is where things then end up going missing. Nobody knows where anything is. Like, I wouldn't mind. If Lisa drew, like, a, a circle, the shape of a frying pan or whatever, around everything and everything was in this plate, cool. No problem. Well, we had the box Don't hide things. Yes. We had the box. That was our Dovet? agreement. Dovet? You needed a box. Do you, do you know where the box <laughs> is? Dovet? I need to know what the box yeah. is. Because I got a feeling the box is, here's all the shit you need all yep. the time. Yep. What did you do with the box? <laughs> they hid the fucking box, Dovet. How do you hide the box? Yeah, oh, people were coming over. Efficiency. People were coming over, Dovet. So we can't have it out when people are coming over. So here's over. the thing, is, is that going through this, it's, it, you know, we're laughing, and there, there were moments that this becomes serious. This becomes an actual this argument. This is a collision, your, of, a collision values. of values. Because uh. while it's something like this, it seems silly. When it's something like, for instance, um, he's really just walking in a room and making a messy room. And I'm, let's say I'm writing my book, and the book, I need to have focus. And for me to have focus, I need a certain space. Mm -hmm. And so now here I am, really focused on my book, very dedicated, taking this shit seriously. And he comes in, he drops shit all around. I'm like, right? So now I'm getting annoyed because my, um, the way that I function, I need that. Mm -hmm. I need the space. Mm -hmm. I need the peace. I need the harmony. But for him, me asking him to not put things on the floor is now a waste of his what he values. So now you can understand it's not even one's right, one's wrong. We just have a collision of values. I'm not right or wrong. He's not right or wrong. It's just the way that we function. Most couples don't know or never grasp that last part, mm -hmm. which is this is neither right or wrong. It's a collision of values. You have your value. I have my value. The communication understands that mm -hmm. because now you're saying, babe, this is me and this is you. What I've learned is accepting the person in their view in the hope that they're gonna accept me and mine. And that to me is harmonious. You may not always agree, but if you can land back into the place of, oh, we love each other, we're just different people. He gets a box, I gotta organize everything. And that's okay, right? Don't you win that way? If you Very communicate so. and you come up with a solution that makes both of you content and pleased and happy, because the one thing that we always spoke about as well is not just keep on sacrificing for the other person. You'll start to build resentment mm. um, if you're just sacrificing. And so the one thing that we do a lot, we play a game called selfish desire. And selfish desire. Yes. We play this every this changes lives. single week. If you had to readjust week. for that, <laughs> if, yeah, the yeah. title alone makes me know, interested. Me Yo, if you're a pleaser and or your significant other is a pleaser, or God forbid you're both pleasers, you have to use this tool. It's just, or you just feel guilty if you say what you actually want because now you, you seem like you, all you do is put yourself first. And so we would find ourselves either spending time going, well, whatever you want, no, no, what do you want? And now one of us is always sacrificing. Um, or it was like, we'd end up just like, oh, see, we did this for you. So you did this for me? No, we're doing this for you. And now it's like neither of you are happy. Mm. And it always upset me whenever I heard, not just upset me, it didn't compute as truth. When I would hear men say, well, a happy wife is a happy life. That breaks my heart yeah. over. Because, because it's you like, should be inclusive in that happiness. Right, it's just like, look, a as a woman. couple is a happy yeah, life. Yeah, as a woman, when I talk about stepping into your own and what makes you happy and putting yourself first. Sure. Like, of course I want that for my husband too. I want him to think about what makes him happy. 
what would if and you, live in that and live in that exactly so it was this game that we came up called selfish desire and we play it every single week 22 years later and every saturday we're like what is your selfish desire and i will say babe so what's your selfish desire today and you'll say Whatever it happens to be that day, and then I ask you the same. Give me an example, TV. I, 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 I oh, here we go. I, mean, uh, I want to have. Thank you. I want to have like, sushi. I want sex. I want to play video S. games, and then um, I want to watch movies. Whatever. Movies, sex. And sushi, I would say specifically what movie I want to watch. Got it. So it's a selfish desire. Yeah, Which that's my, my selfish layout. desire. Yeah. And then she would give me hers, and then we would go, right oh, other. cool, here are the things that line up. And then, um, I'm not really into gaming today. What if we played ping pong or we laid in the sun? Yeah, word, actually, that sounds good. I didn't think of that. Perfect. And well, it's, it is, once you know what the other person actually wants, it's so easy to, like, find that compromise. Sure. And I'm talking like 99.9% of the time, we do not. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, let's do this. Or he'll say, like, I want sushi. I'm like, I really don't want sushi today. So I may either think about a place that gets sushi and what I want. Right. Or in that moment, it'll be like, all right, babe, you know what? Last week we got my food, so let's get sushi today. And so now it just becomes a making even, like working on pleasing each other. making. So it's never just weighted one way. And that's the one thing. Which is really important. Where were you going? There's just the weighted one that it's not weighted one. I was also going to say that sometimes there are things I selfishly want to do that has nothing to do with him. Is that what you thought I was going to say? No, no. There's a key to making all this work because this can be done pathologically. You have to want the other person to win. Like that has to be your default position. It's like you have to want to see them get what they want and they should want to see you get what you want. So now you're like, oh, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, cool. You're not into sushi today. How can I get a win for you without giving up all my wins? But it's like now you're both like, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd actually work. Like Mm -hmm. either we order from two different places but eat at the same time or whatever. There's when you want the other person to win, like you both are trying to get the other person to maximize their happiness, sure. now you really find common ground. It's when people are combative and they're competing with each other that sure. it gets ugly. So like, I'll say something that I wanna do that is just selfish for me, that actually has nothing to do with it. I wanna draw, which means for me, I get isolated. I pick up my pencil. Mm-hmm. I You're shut- an amazing artist, by the oh, way. Thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you. I just shut out the world and I draw. Now in those moments, so he'll say his selfish desire, I'll say my selfish design. Let's say he says he wants to watch anime. I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, cool, babe. So what we'll do, because I'm very much the logistic person, so I'll be like, okay, so what we'll do is from nine until lunchtime, you go watch your anime. I'm gonna draw, we'll come together at 12 o'clock at 12 o'clock I'll order us sushi or I'll order you sushi and I'll just make myself grilled chicken whatever high levels of communication even in the midst of the day yeah so there's no room for wonder it's very if people understood when they say that communication is the key if they understood how ridiculously communicative you have to be people would be shocked when when we talk the way that we actually talk in a podcast or whatever I think people are like there's no way they actually talk like that but you do we do like you, you have to you have to define words sometimes. Like sure. this is what the word promise means to me. We've defined that. Um, promise means you do not go back on it. Like no matter. You ma- just don't. You keep it your does, word. It doesn't matter what happens. And we in 22 years have never said I pr- we promise and never and followed never through ever. Now, but oh god, Dolvet, I don't know if you care about like the really advanced shit. But here's where it gets here's <laughs> where it gets interesting. <laughs> 
The problem is, so we use promise. Like if I say, um, I, I, I'm not mad. I mm. promise you I'm not mad. But you are. No. But if I say I promise, then guaranteed I'm not. You okay. cannot. But the it. only way that this works is if I'm mad, but I'm like, I'm not mad. And she's like, you're not mad. Nope, I'm not mad. And she's like, okay, we both know you're mad, but you're trying to create like even keel space. You're trying mm -hmm. to let it go, whatever. You're trying to indicate it's not really a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not gonna ask you to promise. I'm gonna let you have that moment where we both know what, you know, that there's sure. still friction here. Sure, sure. And, but if it really matters in that moment, like if you're actually mad about this, there are gonna be consequences. Mm. So you promise you're not mad? Yes, I promise. Now, if she were getting me to promise on everything and never left me the just sort of general human ability to tell a little white lie where we both are in on it, we both know what's going on. So you always have in your back pocket, like, do I really need to know 100% like that this is guaranteed? Then you've got it. And so you know I'm going to get the right answer. But you don't sit there and go, you promise on everything. You promise, you promise, you promise. You don't, you don't. It's just like, oh, so annoying. We've also like once a month. It's okay. not something it's that we It's really make sure rare. We, and yeah. so because you have that, then it's like, yeah. for instance, um, baby, you look amazing right now. Mm. And I, let's say I have incentive to say that. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you're just saying that because of X, Y, Z. No, I promise you, you look beautiful. She's she like, knows damn. You mean it. Because, but the care, it's like your reputation. Sure. You sure. do it wrong once sure. and it's over forever. And and it really, honestly, the time it comes up most powerfully is in an argument. You're really going at it. Mm. And the person's like, you said this. And you're like, I promise you I did not say that. Or I promise you I didn't mean the thing that you think I mean. And it's like, man, you've never, for us, we've got so much history. In 22 years, you've never once said you promise and I find out later that it wasn't true. So damn, but all right. Have you ever felt disconnected or upset by something, I'll ask you first, but you didn't articulate it to him? You didn't communicate to him? Maybe till later on that it bothered you or that, you know, it could be something small and minor, right? So for example, I'll put myself in the example. I just gotta give you guys, you know, on the ride over here, I was a little upset with my wife. We're driving in the car, I'm paying a bill online. She doesn't even know this. I mean, she's literally in the room right now, but she's like, she she's she was like, like what? You, what? you were upset with me? <laughs> Uh, not upset to the point where I'm angry, but it's like, sure. babe, right? It was one of those, babe, right. hello? I'm on the phone, I'm driving, but I'm also paying a bill. I asked her to give me my wallet in her purse. I'm typing in the credit card while driving. She's on her phone. The right, the smart husband was like, babe, dude, would you mind? Could you please help me real quick while I, you know? But there was a part of my brain hoping that she would just see me too and say, babe, you can't drive, put in the number, da 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 da, you know, and just right. step up for me. In that moment, I should have easily articulated, easily communicated, hey, would you mind helping me? Have you guys ever been in a scenario like that where you felt you should have maybe said something, she didn't do it, or you should have said something? How, and how do you deal with those moments? I'm trying to clean it up because in the back of my mind, I'm like, please don't argue when we get in the car. <laughs> It's a good strategy. Uh, it is literally exactly what you just said. So you do it poorly at first. Sure. And then doing it poorly will inevitably get friction between you. 
And then our goal is always the second we feel that we've escalated, we're both trying to figure out why we've escalated. So it's like, okay, there's an insecurity being triggered here. I didn't feel seen or I have a value system that says like if one person has more tasks than the other, the other person should come in and, and help and you didn't do that. And so that feels like you don't respect me enough to follow what I consider like an obvious value. Um, but then we just say those things like, oh, that actually made me feel like I'm, I mean, it's minor, but it made me feel like I'm in this alone. I don't like the way that makes me feel, um, but I should have said something and I didn't. I really apologize for that. But in the future, it would really mean a lot to me if when we find ourselves in this situation and I ask for something. And in fact, this kind of thing will come up often for us. And I will say, look, I don't ask for things very often, right? Right. True. Self-sufficient so, people rarely do. Yeah. So I'm like, if I ask, like that in and of itself is like, I'm drowning, you know what I mean? For me to actually ask for help means like something really heavy is going on. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not fair to her to say, I know that every other human you've ever encountered just asks like a normal person. And so you have to then, oh yeah, if he asks. Um, but that means something to me. So if I ask for help, if you can let me know, if you, you can't do it, know. just tell me, hey, I'm stuck in something I'm not gonna be able to help. Right. And, and then I her thing would be- I need your help right now. Yes. And in that way, I'll even give him like, oh, I didn't even realize, right? And now part of me then feels bad because mm -hmm. it's like, I want to make sure that my husband feels, I'm sure she's like, oh, I didn't even realize. And well, so, she, was, she may have been working. And that's the I, point yeah. is that we then commit to, you just need to communicate. Mm -hmm. I'm not a mind reader. I don't know mm -hmm. what you're going through. When you ask me something, you may be like, oh my God, I'm asking her and it's a big deal to me. I may be in my own head. I'm not even realizing it's a big deal. So you mm -hmm. ask me, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll get to it. So if you don't communicate to me, this is important. Or say like, hey, look, maybe you don't realize it, but right now I'd love your help. Mm. Those are the words I need to hear. So you think you're communicating to me, I just don't hear it. Mm. That doesn't mean I don't care. And for you to perceive it as I don't care isn't fair on me. So here are some words that you can use next time. And we'll just literally communicate like that. Next time, if you can say this, and then we'll go back to it, and he's like, you told me to say that, and you still didn't respond. And I'll go, oh my God, of course, yes, you're right. And everything also becomes a habit. You have to create habit. Sure. And so I just need to get in the habit of knowing that if he asks for X, Y, and Z, sure. that that means, hey, it's important. I'm just not in the habit yet. So giving each other the grace as well to go, you know what, I see you trying. Mm -hmm. You're not there yet, but also you want to give the encouragement. So that's what we do. Gotta like if I'm trying to win, so if I'm trying to improve right. on something, here's actually another perfect example. One thing we were um, bickering about, I had some triggers and I would get very sensitive if I was triggered. And it was the feeling of being stupid. Back to what he said before, I grew up with very smart brothers and sisters. Sure. And so I have a bit of a trigger. And so he may say- A little say, inadequacy yeah. there, sure. So he may say something, he's not realized he's triggering me. Mm. I'm now having an emotional response and he's looking at me and he's like, why are you, like, what's the matter, right? And mm. so now I'm like, you're not being sensitive. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? So what I realized was, it's my trigger to own. It's not his. Mm. But it is my job to communicate to him Hey, this look, is happening to me right now. Correct. Yes. Not as an acceptance right. of like, and so you just have to deal with it. Mm -mm. So what I actually said, I'm actually dealing with this run. I've just realized this is a trigger of mine mm -hmm. just now in my 40s. Mm -hmm. I realized it's a trigger of mine. I'm working on it. But until I figure it out, I need for your help to say these words instead of this. This is what's going to trigger me. I'll get there. I'm working on it. So then let's say we get into another argument. He triggers me a bit. Sure. I then say to him, I recognize you're trying to help. 
I see that you're really trying. I've now been triggered again. Mm. Give me the grace. I need to step away from this conversation. So now I'm encouraging him to do a better job, but encouraging him. He sees that I'm not just like, oh, I can't believe you did that again. Sure. So now we're working as a team. He's supporting me. He's given me the grace to work on this part of me that I don't just accept. He wouldn't have been able to do that had you not communicated to him Correct. the ownership of your emotions. thousand percent. If you deflected and blamed him for not seeing what you were unable to communicate, yes. you could never have the grace that she needed in which you both have. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful ebb and flow, of, mm -hmm. of, of, an exchange that has to happen. That's why I think love starts from within. So I asked you that question. Mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to ask you. Is that where'd you learn love from? Love to me lands from the way I love myself will reflect how I love my wife, how I love my son, how I love my family, mm -hmm. how I love my job, how I love people, how I love what I love. But the more work that I, and when I say work, that self-communication that I do of ownership, mm -hmm. right? Of mm -hmm. who I am, there's versions, who I was, who I am, and who I intend to be, right? And I think it starts here your self-worth at the age 40 and you know what have you you making those realizations saying i have to present this to my husband and not present a deflection because prior to him you probably deflected your ass off with previous relationships or you know mother father ex-boyfriends mm -hmm. whatever the case might be you're evolved now to say i'm as a part of this relationship as he is people tend to put title and burden together well, you're my husband, you're supposed to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? There's, a, there's that piece as opposed to no one's supposed to anything. I have to explain this. Yeah, and that comes from doing the internal work, like you said, on yourself first. So 100%. that is where, so if we get into an argument or something, I'm like, why am I so upset about this? So that's where I'll start because normally, like you start to chin check yourself. Yeah, because, not, because if he's really bothered me and now I'm all worked up, why am I so worked up? If he says something that is so not true, I'd be like, ah, whatever. Like, it's so in his own head. Like, it wouldn't bother me. So the fact that I've got annoyed by it, so I'm actually going to say to you, Dolbert, I would do the, if I was you, I would do the internal work and say, why did I get so bothered that my wife was doing her own thing? Oh, it's 100% me. Right, like, yeah. I don't feel seen. I've never felt, I felt ignored as a really? child. And so all these things, right, is now your trigger. 100%. As you're driving, you get triggered, but you put it on her, uh -huh. you got upset with her. Uh -huh. So now that next step is maybe articulating, hey look, this is actually coming from my childhood. I sure. get triggered. Sure. So what I'm going to do is from now on, when I feel this, I'm going to communicate with you. Right. What are the words that you can hear? Because sometimes he'll say a word to me and his, and his trigger now triggers me. So you want to make sure that whatever words you say to your wife doesn't then trigger something in her. A thousand percent. So what we do is we're like, well, what word would you like me to use? And that's where we've got our dictionary, going back to what he was saying about promise. We've got our dictionary now because we know what words to use in certain situations so the other person can hear you. So it's promise. It's important. That word important. Is everything. And there's also a piece going back to myself. Oftentimes, as men, and you can probably agree with here at some level in your relationships or your relationship, one of my things is I'm not going to say this so I don't offend her, mm. right? But it's my thing. She has no clue of what's going on inside of me internally because I haven't articulated to her, hello, I need your help, where are you? Why? That's all my personal stuff. So two things have to happen. 
you got to get comfortable with explaining your position. And in that, you also have to understand that there are key words not to trigger her. But you also have to realize that if you go down a path of separation, you'll be separated. You have to bring the other person in to bring the team back together. Mm. Right? Yeah. My separation is how come she can't and, I, and I, you know, my whole pouting little boy thing as opposed to, hey, I want to bring you in on something. I want you to be a part of what's happening in me at this moment, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's a high level of communication. Before we go down that road, before we continue that, I know we don't have a lot of time left. I just want to say um, what a joy this has been for me mm -hmm. to do this with you guys. Um, I've always admired you as a couple. I've always admired you as an individual, right? And I've okay. always looked at you as someone. I remember when I did Impact Theory, and I was speaking to someone, I think on Gary Vee's team, and an uh, agent of some sort, I forget his name at the moment. And he said something that always stood out to me, and I immediately, you know when someone says something, you agree with them? Mm. Like instant, it was no hesitation, like, oh, I don't know. He said he's a good listener. That's one of your qualities, I feel. Thank you know you. what I mean? I was describing our interview and our, and our relationship with Amanda last night and, it's, and you have this amazing quality that is almost like you can give someone something, give them a question, give them, a, give, them, give them something to think about, right? If it's a red balloon, so to speak, and you hand it to them in the middle of the interview, you just hand it to them. And you have this ability to just kind of sit back and watch it float and do whatever it does. To me, that is an art form. To me, that's a gift because a lot of people don't know how to listen. A lot of people are not truly listening because they're thinking of the next thing they need to say. Mm. So somewhere is there's some clouds that are lost in there that are covering the sunlight that's coming through. It is not an example in your work and impact theory. It is an example in your work potentially, I don't know the storyline of nutrition but it's a hundred percent example in your work with your wife your team and where you're going so compliments to you both for being present and being there for one another you're a shining example of the vulnerability I'll rephrase that the power hidden in vulnerability mm. Mm. most people don't want to go into that power you know, I always say you got to go through something to get to something. Yeah. And you guys go through it, but you do it as a couple. It's pretty awesome. Yes, we do. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. We don't have much time. We don't have any time, actually. Um, I want to keep going. Do you mind if we do this again? Oh, I'm man. Saying, no, I'm not a lot saying of fun. that to be facetious or anything. I'm no, being sincere. No. I would love, love to, it. Because there's We're so many other things. We're besties, though. Yeah, I thought, I know, I know a besties. minute. You know what I mean? We, we might as well. Get out of my house. <laughs> Thank you guys once again for watching another episode of Work Out the Doubt. Again, my guests, Tom and Lisa Bilyeu. What an amazing conversation about love, longevity, and most importantly, highest communication ever. I'll see you next time.